Precision medicine, is it hype or help, fact or fiction? Welcome to Precision Insight. This is a podcast series where the most influential thought leaders and innovators in healthcare sit with me to chat about the latest technologies and tools of precision medicine. If you want to know more about this incredibly fast-moving field of research and development, stay tuned. i am uh, got the pleasure of talking with Carrie Williams today. Um, she is at McKesson Ventures, uh, principal there, uh, just started a year ago, but has got a very interested uh, interesting history, um, undergraduate degree in biology at uh, University of Massachusetts, and then an MBA uh, at the University of California, Berkeley, um, but began her, her, her career in drug development um, and was running clinical trials in oncology, um, both in pharmaceutical and biotech settings. Um, and then has moved gradually, first of all, into McKesson's US pharmaceutical division, and then more recently as Vice President Strategy and Business Development for uh, Omada Health, and is now, as I say, back as a principal in McKesson Ventures. Um, what the aim of this uh, podcast is really about uh, the future, the future of healthcare, but particularly precision medicine. And while one can look at what is actually happening on the ground, it is very interesting to hear where the venture arms of large corporations think the future is going to be, because they will be the ones funding the development and, and research that leads to those new technologies we use in healthcare. So, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Uh, very informal. And perhaps start with a quick open question. What's your role at McKesson Ventures? Thanks for having me, Martin. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a principal on the investment team. So what that really means is I'm focused on really understanding emerging trends and evolving marketplace dynamics. And then as I get a more crystallized sense for which of those seem most relevant to the future of healthcare as McKesson thinks about it, but that as our team thinks about it, um, identifying compelling venture-backed companies that fit our investment profile and then leading investments when there's a good fit. Fantastic. Is McKesson a big company? McKesson is a very large company. Um, we're, I think, Fortune 5 at the moment. Uh, so, and, you know, we're both in the U.S., Canada, and a number of European markets. Um, the McKesson Ventures team has been around for just about four years now. So this is a, a group that you're part of that really is quite influential in, in determining the direction of uh, new innovations in healthcare. We hope so. Yeah, our aim is, as much as it is, of course, to make um, very thoughtful financial investments, it's also to ensure that we're thinking about, you know, what the horizon looks like maybe five to seven years out, whereas the businesses are often tasked with thinking a bit more in the next one to three years, and rightfully so. So our job is to not only, again, make the right investments, but to share insights back with the businesses and to enable, you know, where appropriate, the right partnerships between our business units and the venture-backed companies that we invest in, and sometimes ones that we don't, um, but, but typically, you know, putting more of an emphasis on how we can facilitate the right partnerships, the right interactions, in the most efficient way for both sides. Fantastic. And, and um, I mean, we've started this conversation because we know that McKesson's got an interest in, in precision medicine. Um, wh why do you think that is the case that McKesson Ventures is so interested in this area of health? So, 
absolutely, you know, it's a topic that is discussed regularly within our team and certainly throughout the company. I would say probably an initial interest stemmed from the fact that we own the U.S. Oncology Network. So precision medicine more broadly is a very common topic um, if you think about cancer care. But I would say our team tends to be really intrigued by the concept of precision prescribing. You know, as we think about tailoring treatment to an individual, um, we know that there are a number of avenues that we could explore within that realm. But again, precision prescribing um, really seems to be one that rises to the surface for us. Uh, just as we see the immense value in considering a holistic view of the patient, you know, much more than just the diagnosis alone. Um, and taking the right data, the relevant data, to make the best possible decisions about treatment. So maybe just a couple other thoughts there. Uh, you know, we appreciate that a patient's diagnosis or their diagnoses, you know, are a very core component of the proper prescribing pathways, but also can see the value in taking into account their demographics, their ability to metabolize drugs based on their genetic profile, potentially, um, and then the the role that all this data can play in how effective and safe a medication will be when prescribed to the patient. And we can also appreciate as the population um, ages and the number of patients with multiple chronic conditions increases, that the more, you know, there'll be more drugs taken in combination for a single diagnosis or at least as part of a regimen of uh, a range of conditions. So we know that risk will increase for potential adverse events. So, you know, maybe the last point I would just make is, again, we can envision this, this use case evolving where, you know, having access to the right data at the point of prescribing, or at least at the point of dispensing, somewhere, you know, along that, that workflow or that pathway for the patient's journey um, before that medication is in hand, it can be extremely useful uh, to avoid preventable adverse drug events caused by drug-drug or drug and or drug gene interactions. And, you know, maybe the other part of this is that we can also see that as the clinical and pharmacoeconomic evidence continues to evolve in this area, so should reimbursement. Because we know right now reimbursement is a bit spotty when it comes to the pharmacogenomic tests themselves. But even if you put those aside, you know, the, the value of some of the other data that is available today, although maybe not quite as connected as we'd like it to be or as integrated as we'd like it to be, could be immensely impactful for patient outcomes. Totally. I mean, we do talk about informational continuity uh, in, in certainly in primary care, and, and you're right that, that at the moment there is some fragmentation, frag, uh, fragmentation. In talking about the data, you were saying actually having all that data for um, what maybe 20 years ago was complex care with people with multimorbidity, but in today's world is actually standard care. That can be quite challenging for a clinician because, you know, you've talked about the drug-drug interaction, you've talked about a little bit about the, the physical characteristics of the patient and then the genetics. Um, do you, uh, is there anything in the horizon that actually can manage to deal with all that data and then help either the physician or the patient or the pharmacist uh, manage that data? So I feel that there's an opportunity for all of the stakeholders you mentioned, probably others, to benefit from this aggregation of data. The, the way our team thinks about it actually is in a, through a term we've dubbed the digital supply chain. So how do you think about taking the traditional supply chain for medications or 
or medical supplies, including the processes around how they're ordered or ultimately fulfilled. So taking the prescription, for example, that whole end-to-end -end process um, up, to, up to the point of dispensing and empowering or enhancing that supply chain through better connectivity. And we're starting to see this pop up. Certainly there are a number of venture-backed companies um, speaking with one now that you know has a clear eye on the ball around knowing that this data is not only important and needs to be accessible to the prescriber or the pharmacist wherever it makes sense ultimately to put it in workflow, maybe in both places, but also that it has to be um, easy to interact with. And it can't, it cannot be left to the prescriber alone to have to sort through what all the data means. It should not be left to the prescriber in workflow, to, you know, in their own workflow to step aside and figure out what the right decision is. So the more data-driven, of course, the, the option set is, the better. And the easier the user interface is to use, um, the more likely it is that these, these recommendations will be acted upon. Yeah. So we do see, yeah, you know, we do, we do believe, and I certainly believe that this would have to be part of whether it's EMR or the pharmacy software platform, some type of existing infrastructure, um, at least in the, you know, five to 10 year horizon, where it's a layer on top uh, and becomes seamless um, and just second nature versus having to step aside and, and think about it as a, a whole separate process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree, but then probably I would. Um, do you, where, <laughs> you should. <laughs> where, where do you think the business growth is in, in, in this? So the growth, I mean, you know, and you saw this at the beginning, it's still a bit spotty right now. And so while there, we're still seeing pockets, maybe not wide, yet widespread adoption of precision prescribing, I do think the clinically validated data that is being generated by companies like yourselves and, and others in the academic, you know, the health system environment um, are really will drive the impact that's needed to establish these new workflows and, and ultimately get customers out of pilot mode. Um, it makes sense to try, especially to try this, you know, on a small scale within a specialty, um, even within a large medical center. But how can we get it, be, you know, to be at scale? And so I do think the evidence base is one area for that will fuel business growth. Uh, another one that, for me, is that's probably a bit longer term, but I do believe could truly expand precision prescribing, uh, is layering on alternatives prescription drugs like digital therapeutics. And so while digital therapeutics are also far from being, you know, widely reimbursed and adopted from a commercial standpoint, they hold the promise for being alternatives to medications that would have efficacy comparable to a drug without nearly the same adverse event profile. So not only could they be a viable option if there is a high risk for a potential drug drug or drug gene interaction, uh, they could also be a better alternative based on the patient's likelihood um, being adherent to their medication. So we've, you know, we hadn't really touched on some of the more social determinants of health or some of the other more qualitative elements of what motivates uh, patients. Mm -hmm. And so th that we feel is, is, very, is essential. And so understanding the dimension of a patient, this dimension of a patient's profile could be equally as important as knowing how a drug would interact in the body because none of these interact, potential interactions matter if the patient doesn't take the medication in the first place. And so for us, again, as we think about precision prescribing, while it is all about you know, the right data 
access and integration of those data points and being able to seamlessly create the right recommendations and then act on those recommendations. It's also about understanding the patient and their propensity to be adherent and compliant and be supportive of them and then generate the right data as the patient moves along their journey through their medication regimen to understand you know how well they're doing uh, in that compliance pathway so it's it's, it's a multitude of things uh, for us i couldn't agree more i had a, a classic example um, where i was uh, treating a patient for osteoarthritis who wanted the same treatment as her sister and i gave her the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory and we tried that therapy and similar therapies for about three months. And finally, I said, look, you know, it's clearly not helping you. What is it that you actually wanted out of this drug? Um, and she wanted to be more stable going up and, and downstairs. And clearly the non-steroidal wasn't doing that, but a stair rail probably would have helped. Um, mm -hmm. And if we don't ask patients right at the beginning what they expect from their therapies, and then I think it's very interesting what you said, keeping that information so everyone in, in the circle of care knows what objectives we're trying to achieve with the individual patient. Uh, that, that is absolutely critical. And at the moment, it's very difficult on our digital platforms to know, I mean, I know why the patient is having the blood pressure treatment, it's to lower the blood pressure, but I don't know whether they're really taking it to prevent a stroke or a heart attack or, or why why they're actually interested in taking the medication. Yeah, and I, I think that raises another thought for me of why precision prescribing is so essential, but also so complex. It's because in many cases, there are multiple prescribers that are involved in the patient's care who may be at completely different facilities, let alone um, you know across different specialties, different practices. So drug that a patient's been on for many, many years. And to your point, either you can't, you don't necessarily have the view into why, or even if the drug's been effective. Um, and so what happens if you as a prescriber comes along and says, for your new diagnosis, this is the medication I'm recommending, but I know it will interact with the existing drug. How do you make that call if you're not the prescriber and the primary you know, specialist or primary care physician who's prescribed the original drug? So. I think what you're conjuring up for me is just this concept of a some type of service layer, whether it's third party or some type of, you know, whether it's all technology based or sometimes people still are the best way to <laughs> manage through complex care situations and how can you figure out what the right interventions are or how can the right people or processes support a very, you know, dynamic and sort of multifaceted care team, even if that care team is remote. Um, are disparate from each other so that the right decisions can be made. And that's why I had mentioned the pharmacist, you know, at the beginning of the discussion. Assuming you can get access to the, the current drug list, which again, this prob is probably a whole other discussion, but assuming you can get that, that up-to-date med list, yeah. then the pharmacist can be extremely influential in helping to kind of play control tower and, and triage or the pharmacy, again, with the right software and, and access to data to interact with prescribers on behalf of the patient to make the best possible decisions. Yes, I couldn't agree more. So how do you think McKesson Ventures and McKesson fit into this really complex picture of not just pharmacogenetics, but uh, the patient as a person and their wishes and beliefs? So I'll probably reference back to, you know, what I alluded to with around the digital supply chain. I think 
it's a topic that has come up multiple times within McKesson um, across most of our business units, largely because uh, the role that the pharmacist we you know can play here and how pharmacy technology can be leveraged to scale uh, you know workflows like this, like decision prescribing. McKesson happens to have a, a whole host of solutions designed to enable you know for example real-time data exchange at the prescription level. And so with this foundation. You know, I could envision McKesson as a critical player to support both prescribers and pharmacists in more personalized patient interventions. And then on the patient side, when I think about, you know, for example, the hub services capabilities we have on behalf of pharma, where we're partnering with pharma to help enable, you know, probably a primary example here is financial assistance, ensuring, you know, more, more around the adherence themes, enabling access to the drug um, and helping patients navigate that. There, there likely are opportunities to also marry up additional clinical capabilities or visibility into the clinical data. And it could be possible that when you take some of these, what today sit a bit separately, some of these capabilities and think more broadly about the entire patient journey, uh, we really do have a lot of the infrastructure technology teams and expertise to put those pieces together. And again, I think this commitment to and this belief in that digital is here already. You know, a lot of our systems are digitized today. It's not that healthcare isn't digitized yet. It's that it's probably a little bit slower to become more integrated across those digital touch points. And so I think, again, McKesson and players like us are well positioned to help put those pieces together. Absolutely. I mean, I know of uh, circumstances where a patient within a hospital will have more than 10 individual uh, electronic records, none of which are talking to each other. Um, and so there is a lot of work still needs to be done in the integration um, part of uh, data exchange so that everyone who needs to see the data can see the data at the time they need it. But, I mean, in Absolutely. terms of the uh, other groups, so there are employers and benefit providers who are really interested in innovation within uh, healthcare. Uh, is McKesson working with some of those and, and what's happening in those fields? So I might actually step back to my Omada Health experience just for a minute um, and then can come back to McKesson just because, you know, we at Omada saw just a true interest on at least the front of self-insured employers to become much more engaged from a clinical perspective in thinking about their populations. So while many employees have come to expect some degree of medical and pharmacy and dental coverage, I think many of the innovative employers, and some now that are maybe were a little bit slower to adopt, have really come along an impressive way in being more cutting edge and more committed to bringing new and unique benefits to their populations, just given the, the risk that they're on the hook for as mm -hmm. their population um, continues to potentially age, if they're likely to stay with the company for a long time, or depending on the demographics or the other part of the country that the, the company might be in, you know, what the other prevalence rates might be of certain chronic conditions. And so completely, believe that employers, at least right now, and I think honestly a lot of this comes back to the, the, the pace at which healthcare um, scales. It's not that there aren't leading institutions and even smaller centers, hospitals, clinics, practices 
um, and everything in between that are testing out new technologies and new capabilities, but to really get the entire system, which is already built on disparate technology infrastructure to a point where these technologies and new products are widely adopted, um, we know it's a long road. And so in the meantime, I think employers have really stepped up and embraced uh, many of the new innovations around managing risk, managing chronic condition in their populations. I think, you know, when it comes to the concept of precision medicine, it's, it's probably more about picking the right subsets or segments within precision medicine to see what might resonate with this type of a customer segment, because it may be a little bit more niche um, versus some of the other benefits that an employer might offer, like a, like a program like Omada, where it's focused on reducing risk that, uh, ac across the population for, you know, for chronic disease. As far as McKesson goes, I'd say the employer is becoming, and certainly as a large self-insured employer, you know, we, we cannot ignore the opportunities that exist in better managing the health of our populations. And so it is a topic that we, we discuss pretty regularly. And certainly with, from the McKesson Ventures standpoint, a lot of the companies that we look at and find to be intriguing, certainly one of our current um, portfolio companies, Accolade, is... So very focused on employers and enabling better health and better utilization of healthcare benefits across populations. So um, very much an area of focus and an area that we believe can help fuel the growth and scale of some of these new um, and very meaningful benefits. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's interesting hearing the employers because they obviously are concerned and they've almost taken on a role as a public health organization. So they've got a, a community of people um, in, in their company or set of companies. And in, while precision medicine may be thought to be, it's at the individual level, I think for these companies, it's about shifting the curve. So, I mean, you talk about uh, exercise programs, uh, smoking cessation programs, uh, alcohol awareness programs. They don't necessarily treat the individual uh, of every company, but they shift the curve in terms of health of all those individuals. And, and maybe we now need to start thinking about precision health in that sort of way. So rather than focusing down on which group of individuals, uh, we say, well, rather like smoking cessation, it applies to everyone. Maybe not everyone is a smoker, therefore you're not actually putting it into action, but maybe you just need to have precision health systems available for the whole population to shift the curve of responsiveness to medications. Does that sort of resonate? It does. And I think the only thing that I would add to that is, you know, that the, which we, we sort of touched on previously, which is how do you put all these pieces together to make sense of it for ultimately the patient or the employee, whatever context they're in. Yes. Especially if you do have an employee who needs to be better familiarized with smoking cessation programs or uh, some type of substance abuse program or has type 2 diabetes. It's a lot to try to manage through if yeah. all they're getting is sort of individual feeds of options yes. for certain benefits or programs to participate in. So the only, yeah, like the only thing I think I'd add is how do we then create that layer that makes sense of it, prior, helps prioritize for the patient, helps them be moved to action, and then brought down other paths as appropriate based on 
the effectiveness of you know the existing program that they're focused on or set of programs they're focused on. Yes, I mean it is so complex, uh, and when one is given a diagnosis of a disease, your brain tends to freeze. And you know, navigators. People have talked about having health coaches, health facilitators, health navigators to help individuals in whichever situation, whether they're in a company, an insurance plan, or in a healthcare system, to actually work through what are the options. Um, and it is a challenge with complex care as it is today to be understand the choices being put in front of you. Um, whether they're precision health or whether they're other aspects of care, and to take an informed decision. Is McKesson in thinking about educational needs of patients and this sort of approach that might be required in the future? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's funny because it's easy to think about chronic, your patients with chronic disease and multiple comorbidities or multiple conditions, and certainly they're driving up costs in the system and they're, they're more complex cases and they require and should have uh, more personalized care. But there are still, uh, there's still a large percentage of the population that doesn't necessarily have multiple chronic conditions. Mm. And so how do we do exactly what you're getting at? How do we help even that, that patient who has their very first mm. diagnosis to get started with their, whatever that treatment pathway might look like? Um, in a way that helps to man not only manage that condition, but helps mitigate the risk of developing future conditions um, or, or a more severe state of the disease than, um, is, than they would necessarily have to face. So yes, certainly on the, the Ventures team and then ac across the company, there's much talk about being much more patient-centric, uh, really helping to think from the patient back understanding their needs. Our team certainly, you know, I mentioned it already, but our team certainly talks a lot about both the qualitative and quantitative elements of how a patient shows up, those social determinants of health, as well as their actual physical state, their, the, the severity of their disease, the demographics associated with that patient. And so I think you'll see more and more um, of this theme come through, not only potentially in our investments, but also across the businesses, the business units, and the solutions that we bring to market. It's, it's fantastic, Carrie, to hear that you know that people are thinking not only just about the technology, but about the people as well, um, and that's really reassuring. So, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and your time with us today, um, and look forward to carrying on the conversation as things develop. Thank you. Same here. Thanks so much.